God, we give you thanks that we are kept in your love, that we are kept in your grace. Knowing, God, that if it were to us to keep ourselves, we would be lost in a moment. So, God, we thank you for your keeping grace. Help us now to look to Jesus. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Help us to be good soil prepared to receive the gospel today. God, hide this preacher behind the cross of Calvary, we pray, and help us to hear the voice of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we return to 1 Peter, New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to read uh, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, but verse 18, the first part of verse 18 will be our focus for today. Uh, we'll focus on it and maybe by the time we finish, you will have that little piece memorized uh, or at least you'll be able to, to say what it is. Uh, for, a, for a preacher or for a teacher of the Bible, it's always good, and I shouldn't say good, I should say it's always necessary that you would be able to summarize what you will teach or preach in a sentence. Can you say it in a sentence? Uh, the adage is that this is what they tell preachers. If you can't say it in a sentence, you're going to waste people's time for 30 minutes or 45. I don't know. So we need to be able to say it in a sentence. If we can't say it in a sentence, we don't know. And this morning, I... I have this privilege. It's said for me in a sentence. Uh, we begin reading 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, corresponding to that, even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of filth from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. We have been studying through First Peter and we have been saying uh, often that suffering is common to all people in this world. Suffering is common, certainly to varying degrees, certainly in diverse manners, but suffering is common nonetheless. And, and as Christians, we may encounter suffering that is specific to followers of Christ, uh, even to the point of suffering for doing what is good. And the book of First Peter is helping us, teaching us, giving us aid by teaching us how believers should live as we suffer in this world. How are we to respond to suffering? How are we to respond to difficulties? 
How are we to respond to the hard things of this life? And, and that's a question that, that many people ask. Maybe everyone asks that. How, how do I respond to the, to the difficulties, to the bad things of the world? And, and maybe even further, what will make it better? What will fix the problems of this awful world? What will fix it? Boy, don't we, don't we live in this world and think there, there needs to be a fix. I would love to have the fix. And there are some who believe that they have the fix. There are some who would tell us things like, well, everyone should just live according to their own desire, according to their own heart, according to their own uh, leading. They should just live in that way. But when we see folks who have tried to live in that way, have tried to live that free lifestyle, we can see that doesn't solve the problems of the world. That is not a solution. And sometimes we see that it makes things worse. Something that we can cultivate a better life through societal change, either by education or or being environmentally conscious or, or some efforts, some social reform. They say that they can solve our problems uh, like ending hunger, stopping violence, fixing poverty, uh, eliminating crime. These things can be solved through social change, through social reform. And, and there are many programs that we see in our world today that are in place in an effort to fix the world's problems. But anyone who observes humanity knows that people are depraved and corrupt. So these social efforts, these programs that are created, they will not solve anything. Some, some seek to repair the world through politics. Uh, if we could just vote this man in and vote that man out, if we could get the right person in office, if we could... If we could find the one who will be our hero, the political savior of us all. But if we live a little while and observe, we learn that politics is not the answer. I heard a preacher say, I'm neither right wing nor left wing because both wings are flapping on the same sick bird. That's where we are. Politics is not the answer to the world's problems. Some have considered the suffering of the world and have said, this is a problem that should be a church problem. This, this is something that the church should solve. So churches then have set out in solving and in attempting to solve the world's suffering problems. And churches develop their own programs directed at poverty or hunger or some social cause. And then shifting their focus from the gospel onto these social things, the church also fails to solve the problem of the world's suffering. Now, I'm calling these things failures and I'm saying that we, we see failing in this, but someone may point out that there, there are good things done in the battle against the misery of the world. There are good things that are done and, and we must admit that hungry people are fed, that homeless people are given clothing and shelter and on occasion, even a politician might do something that is helpful. That, that offering some relief but the point is this, that all these efforts, even when they do help somewhat, the help is only temporary. 
All of these efforts fall short in scope and in lasting change. But there is one lasting solution for the world's problems. There is only one answer to the question of life's suffering. And Peter has given it to us here in this epistle in the first part in verse 18. And he's given it to us not as a new thing, but he's given it to us. I'll say this again. He's given us the answer again. Now, I started not to preach this message. Something in me, I wanted to preach this message and I'm excited to preach this message, but, but something said, let's don't go here because we have heard very similar messages as we've studied, even as we studied through this very epistle, we've heard similar messages. But Peter has pointed Christ to us, point, pointed Christ to us and pointed us to Christ as the answer. When we read in chapter one, you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. In chapter two, when we read, you were not a people and you were not loved, but now you have received God's loving mercy and you are his people. He's pointing us to the answer. Again, in chapter two, we read, Christ bore our sin in his own body on Calvary's tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. He has pointed us to Christ as the answer before. So my initial thought was we've already heard this. But then I thought again. This answer to the world's suffering is an answer that has been repeated in Peter's first epistle, but it's an answer repeated throughout Scripture. It's the same message that we find in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Philippians. It's the same message that we find in the Gospels because it is the Gospel. And, and as far as hearing it again, what redeemed person would say I've heard the gospel enough. I've heard the gospel enough. No, Christians, we don't have any other message. Hebrews tells us that if we neglect the great salvation that is offered in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no other salvation available. So we come once again to the gospel presented for us in this very short very simple but chocked full statement in 1 Peter. For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. To begin with, I'd like to read a parallel passage. I, I think there are many parallel passages. And by the way, we have already, and when it comes to not preaching this sermon, We've already in this service read enough scripture to know the answer to the world's suffering. We've already in this service read enough scripture to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but I'm still going to preach. We're still going to we're still going to go there. We need to hear it. And I'd like to read from Second Corinthians, uh, a passage that we read last week. Second Corinthians. Uh, we read this: For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all that they should live, not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 
So we know now no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him that way no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the same message that we see here in our first Peter passage. And I'd like to dig through this text in first Peter and mind the gems that are here for us. I'm not going to say anything that is uh, that is new. I'm going to try to say what the Bible says. That's what a preacher should do is to say what the Bible says. The verse begins for Christ hath also suffered for Christ hath also suffered. And in this statement, we find a connection point with our Savior. We talk about the sufferings that are common to every man. We know those sufferings and Christ also suffered. So we find a connection here and we are reminded here that Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul and and. By doing this truly became man without ceasing to be God. He is the God man. Jesus is truly our brother in humanity. And this is evidenced by the fact that he also suffered. And this is an important point of doctrine. The doctrine of Christ's humanity. But this statement is saying more than Jesus is a man and he suffered according to his humanity. The suffering which is in view here is the suffering of Jesus on the cross when he bled and died for our sins. Now some have denied the fact that Jesus died. They believe in his deity at the expense of believing in his humanity. So they deny that Jesus truly died. Christians, we must be careful to affirm both Jesus' deity and his humanity. And we know that God cannot die. So Jesus did not die according to his deity. But Jesus is two distinct natures in one person. He is God and man, two distinct natures in one person forever. So Jesus then died according to his humanity and according to his humanity, Jesus truly died. I have some reasons for Jesus' death here and this is certainly not exhaustive. Jesus died so that Old Testament prophecy would be fulfilled. For all the way back in Genesis through the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, 
it was prophesied that the Messiah would come and that he would die. And even to be more specific, that he would be pierced, which speaks to his death on the cross. Jesus died so that Old Testament prophecy would be fulfilled. Jesus died to bring an end, to bring a conclusion to the ceremonial law. Every Old Testament ceremony and sacrifice pointed ahead in time to the Messiah. The blood of all those sacrifices never actually cleansed any sin. They just pushed the sin, the mountain of sin, forward to the day when Jesus would really and fully pay with his life on Calvary's tree. Jesus died to bring a conclusion to the ceremonial law. Jesus died to be perfectly obedient to God. John 12, Jesus says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He came to die, to be obedient to his heavenly father. Jesus died to demonstrate that he was fully human. Jesus died demonstrating that he is fully human. Humans die. Jesus is our brother in humanity. Jesus' death demonstrates that he is truly one of us. He is truly our brother in humanity. Jesus died to defeat the power of sin and death. And we talked about this just this morning in our Bible study hour. Jesus' resurrection marked the downfall of these two great enemies of humanity, sin and death. For those who are in Christ, sin and death no longer hold power over us. Now we live sometimes like they do, but they do not hold power over any who is in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to defeat the power of sin and death. And I, I should say Jesus died and rose again to, do, to defeat the power of sin and death. Defeating in his death, demonstrating his victory in his resurrection. Jesus died to demonstrate God's love for us. John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus death demonstrates God's love for us. Now there are many things that we can say. Jesus came and lived and died for, and then we can fill in that many of the things that we would say would be secondary, would be, would be secondary. But Jesus died in the first place to satisfy the justice of God. Jesus came to satisfy, came, lived, and died to satisfy the justice of God. This is the main point of Jesus' coming, and this is the main point of our text today. The problem of man's lostness is not a problem of Satan or sin or self. The problem of man's lostness is the problem of the righteous demands of God's justice. Jesus' life and death brings to sin a double cure. By Christ, the wrath of God is satisfied. Divine justice satiated. Jesus came to, and died to satisfy the justice of God. Jesus 
suffer. The text says Jesus suffered once. Jesus suffered once. And we just we just got this point from our Hebrew reading. Jesus suffered once. This speaks of the finality of Jesus' suffering. Now, I used to think about Jesus when I had sinned, and I would imagine him being re-crucified for the sin that I had just committed. But what a terrible way to think. What, what an unbiblical way to think. Jesus suffered once. When he suffered on Calvary's cross, he declared, it is finished. And he suffered for the sins of all who would believe in him, whether past or present or future. And for, for us who live in 2023, when Jesus died, all our sins were future. There's no need for Jesus to be re-crucified. His crucifixion, his death on Calvary is sufficient. Jesus suffered once and that was the end of his suffering there is no additional suffering needed as payment for sin no additional suffering needed to pay for sin now someone's thinking but wait a minute we still suffer and yes sometimes we suffer consequences for sin sometimes we suffer consequences for sin and it, and it hurts to see People suffering consequences for sin. But listen, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin, for those who are Christians, for those who are in Christ, there is no more payment due to God for our sin. No more suffering for sin. Christians are not paying for their sin because Jesus suffered once. Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies and offered a better sacrifice than the Old Testament priests. He offered that sacrifice once. They offered the blood of bulls and goats and those sacrifices were offered day after day, month after month, year after year, never ending. It has been pointed out in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was no place for the priests to sit. Because his work was never completed. His work was never done. Over and over. Offering these sacrifices. And even those sacrifices offered. Were never sufficient. To pay for sin. Jesus offered himself. As the sacrifice for sin. His own blood as the payment for sin. And he entered into the holy place. Once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. Just as all men will die once and then face the judgment. So Christ died once bearing the sin of all who would believe on him. Back to the chair. Then he sat down. His work is complete. Jesus suffered once. And our verse tells us Jesus suffered once for sin. Jesus suffered once for sin. Now, prepositional phrases can be tricky. They can be. When we see the preposition for, we need to, we, we need to learn exactly what is meant in that, in that statement. And, and I would like to illustrate this by giving you two, two statements, two phrases, two sentences. The soldier fought for freedom. The soldier fought for his country. Now we could continue, the soldier fought for 
the paycheck the soldier fought for. We could continue with more, but let's just consider the soldier fought for freedom. What is meant when we say that the soldier fighting for freedom fights to obtain something, fights so that he may, may obtain this freedom. The soldier fights for his country. He's not trying to obtain a country. He already has a country, but he's fighting on behalf of, or he's fighting because of his country. He's fighting because he already has something. We need to understand when we see the word for, that it can have multiple meanings. And we need to dig in here and see in, in this statement that we have before us, Jesus suffered once for sin, we need to understand that Jesus died in order to meet the demands and satisfy the requirements that were created by sin. Sin must be atoned for. A payment must be made to resolve sin debt. The consequences for sin, the punishment for sin must be completed. And for those without Christ, that payment will be exacted in eternal hell. And that debt will never diminish at all. It will only increase. Jesus is an example for us, but some say that's the reason for him to die. Jesus died to be an example. But no, Jesus' death was not just to be an example. Jesus' death was not so that he may defeat Satan. For Jesus to overcome, overpower, and defeat Satan, he needed but a single word. Jesus died for sin. He died in our place and as our substitute. When we say that Jesus suffered once for sin, we mean that he is our penal substitutionary atonement. That he paid the price, the price that was exacted for sin. That he paid not for his sin, but for our sin. And he paid in our place for our account and he atoned for our sin in that way. Jesus suffered once for sins. Then it says the just. Well, we have sung about just and justice. We have read texts about just and justice. Jesus suffered once for sin, the just. Jesus is referred to here as the just. Now, Jesus is our brother in humanity. We've said that. We've made that point. But Jesus was not born of ordinary generation. Jesus was not born like me and you. All men born from a father and a mother, and, and what I mean by, by that is all of us. All men born of a father and a mother after Adam are guilty of sin by what we call original sin. Through our earthly fathers, we inherit the guilt of Adam's first sin and we inherit a nature of sin. Jesus, though, was born of a virgin, meaning that he had no earthly father and therefore he did not inherit Adam's guilt, nor did he inherit a sin nature. Jesus is fully human, but unlike any other human, he is without sin. 
He is righteous. He is just. And there's no other among men who is just. So Jesus is now uniquely qualified to be the savior of men. Because he is the just. No other sacrifice would do. No other blood would atone. In the words of the hymn that we sing, not what my hands have done. We sing this. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. No other work save thine. No other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. Jesus is the only just one, the only one qualified to be our Savior. Jesus suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. Beloved, we are the unjust. John 6 reminds us no one can come to Christ unless it be given him by the Father. No one can. Romans 8 reminds us that not only do we have an inability, no one can, but no one will. We have, we have a double problem. This is, this is a universal condition. No man, no person, no one is righteous. No one is just. Because of Adam's sin, we are all guilty. And we're guilty because of Adam's sin. And then as soon as we are able, we commit sins as though we were saying amen and yes to what Adam did in the fall in the garden. The description of mankind in Noah's day still applies to us. Our thoughts are on evil continually. Mark 7 teaches us that from within... From within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries. We are the unjust. Sinner, there is no sense in lying to yourself and saying that you are good. Even now, maybe something within you, some pride within you wants to say, how dare you, preacher, say, I am unjust, I am good. You compare yourself to someone else around you and maybe you turn out okay. But comparing yourself to Jesus Christ, comparing yourself to a perfect, righteous God, we are all unjust sinners. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Our sinfulness, our depravity cannot be overstated. And as the unjust, as the unjust, we have no hope, no help, no escape from this dreadful condition. Because, because of our sin, we do not seek God. And whatever we may try to do and say, this is my best, our best is filthy rags before God. Left to ourselves, we would burst into hell. But for the fact 
that the just one suffered once for sin on behalf of all those who would believe in him. Christians, glory in the fact that Jesus Christ has suffered once for sin. And that he did so on behalf of unjust sinners. So that we might be declared just before God. This declaration that the unjust sinner is now just. It's a legal declaration and we, we call that justification. We are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Sinner, won't you heed the gospel call today? Come to Jesus in repentant faith and receive the justifying grace of God. Don't continue in your unjust condition. The condition that we all were born in. That we all lived in. Don't continue in that condition. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can have the righteous judge declare you just. This is the gospel. This is this is the this is the answer to the suffering of this world. This is the answer to the problems that we face. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying to do better. I've said before, the pastor I grew up with used to say, when you turn over a new leaf, you find out that leaf is rotten on both sides. That is, that is what we see in our own lives. You, you can't just say, well, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get a new start. The, the problem when I have tried to get a new start is that I'm there in the new start. And I mess it up. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. We don't need a new start. We need a new heart. We need to be new creations in Christ. We are wretched sinners, the unjust, but Jesus, the just, suffered once for sin, that he might bring us to God. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that these words from your word, your scripture, would be applied to our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray for every believer here that we would be reminded of what you have done for us, of who we were, the wretched, wormed sinners that we were. And that what we are is only by your grace, only by your mercy, only by your work. God, forgive us where we where we cease to give thanks. God, we pray for those who may be here today who, who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. God, we pray that you convict, that you would grant true repentance that leads to eternal life. We pray.
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.